Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Monday Musings with R.C. Um, you know what? This is actually a special edition because it's not Monday. I'm so used to saying that. This is Tuesday. This is a special edition. We are talking about voting, all things voting today. And I did not want to wait until next Monday to have this conversation. So I voted today. I'm hoping that everyone is at least planning to vote and has set aside time in their schedules to do so. They know when and where they need to vote. If you don't know, hopefully after this conversation, you will have that information on hand. So again, today is a special edition. I am R.C. Riley, the host of typically what's called Monday Musings with R.C., but today I have a wonderful guest with me, Audra Wilson. Welcome, Audra. Hey, hello. So Audra Wilson is the president and CEO of the Shriver Center. Wilson has been a champion for racial and economic justice for more than 20 years as a public interest lawyer and teacher, policy shaper, community mobilizer, and experienced executive manager. Wilson began her career as a welfare advocacy staff attorney at the Shriver Center and has worked with then State Senator Barack Obama at Northwestern University School of Law as Chief of Staff for Congresswoman Robin Kelly and as Executive Director of the League of Women Voters of Illinois. Throughout her career, Wilson has focused on the voices and experiences of communities of color and communities most impacted by injustice. Welcome again. Thank so you. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to talk to us about voting. I have a lot of feelings around um, black and brown communities not feeling um, that they should vote. I'm going to try to keep some of my feelings at bay so that we can have an informative discussion so that people will not um, switch from my Facebook page. Um, but just to start off, um, what was it about social justice, about the work that you currently do? What was it at a younger age, I guess I would like to say, that got you to this particular career path? So that's a good question. I think that I, well, part of it was just from my own family um, and just the, the, the nature of the work that many people in my family did that were always focused on community and um, focused on helping people. My mom is a nurse uh, and there's many nurses in my family. Um, a lot of my cousins actually were attorneys. So it just kind of you know, felt like the the family tradition. Right. My parents are also immigrants, and so they have come from a community where, um, you know, they didn't have all the, the the things that we take for granted here in the United States. I mean, so I think I always had a, a different sense of kind of haves and have-nots, and recognize that there's a lot of privilege here in the U.S., right. but there are a lot of people who don't have access to that. Mm -hmm. um, which is really surprising considering the fact that so many immigrants come to this United States for opportunity and yet to see that there are so many Americans that do not have that opportunity. Right. So I think that was part of my motivation. You know, all these things combined were my motivation for doing the work that I had ultimately decided to do. Now, the funniest thing is being a child of immigrants, you know, your, your immigrant parents always want you to, to do better than they did mm -hmm. financially. Right. So imagine I'm talking about not working in a private firm, but being a public interest lawyer. And they're like, yeah, that's cute. But what about the money? Aren't you going to make some money? Right. And you know, I'm not asking you for money. So what are you worried about? But they're like, <laughs> okay, but 
you're going to make some money doing this? Right. Our <laughs> reputation is at stake. Exactly. Can, can you volunteer somewhere else and just make some money? But, you know, but they very quickly came around and they recognized that I was really passionate about doing public interest work. Um, the Jamaican that I am, I have many jobs, so it's okay <laughs> to supplement <laughs> my, my passion. Um, right. You know, but they have been extraordinarily supportive and honestly, I would never have chosen a different path. That is awesome. That's awesome to hear. I, um, I have an attorney in my family, I think. Actually, he is a retired judge and I have to say, I often thought, well, there's going to be somebody else in the family that is going to go into law, surely. And so far, nobody else has. I'm still waiting. Maybe one of my nieces or something. But um, there's so much work to do. And I think that there's so many different professions um, that you can come from a different angle. And so out of all the different career paths my family members have, that's one angle that I'm just waiting to see um, them kind of feel. So... Let's just jump right in. As I said, I voted. Now, I live in DuPage County, um, and not long ago, I lived in Cook County, as most people in Chicago, right, live in um, Cook County, and um, I really have had an interesting experience in DuPage County, and it has, I think, caused some um, questions concerning voting, how involved I've been. In fact, I think my experiences have led me to be even more involved and more aware of what's going on directly in my neighborhood. Um, I know that some people, if they haven't already registered to vote, um, most of those deadlines have passed, but we did talk earlier, there is one more opportunity for people to register to vote, and that's like same day. Yeah, same page. So in every county, there's going to be a place, at least one location where you can register same day. And your viewers can go to the elections.il.gov or again, elections.il.gov to find a voting site, same day voting site, same, same day registration site, um, okay. if they have not already registered to vote. So it is not too late. Although we really encourage you to get out there as quickly as possible. Yes, but for those who haven't already registered now, this is the one week out from election day, people, okay? And so next Tuesday, if you have not already registered, you can still register, so nobody should say, well, I missed registration. Nope, mm -mm. you can't even say that because we're telling you how to register. Okay, let's talk about um, some of the voting options that existed, because I know a lot of people were a little bit confused in conversations I've had with people. They were like, well, I just didn't know what I should do. There's the mail-in, but there's, you know, of course you can stand in line for hours. And then there's the drop-off and early voting. So can we talk about the different options there have been and which of those options are still available? I'm not sure about if mail-in, if it's too late, if you didn't already um, well, to... It's not too late, actually. So, so mail-in uh, voting uh, or, or absentee voting has always been an option, uh, not always, but has been long, has been an option long before this election cycle. The reason why it's gotten so much attention as of late is because of COVID and the fact that many people, and rightly so, have been concerned about going in person, subjecting themselves to long lines and being around a lot of people, possibly touching equipment that hasn't been properly sanitized. And so in order to not uh, deter people from coming out to vote, there's been a very big push for mailing for voting or mailing in your ballots. And so essentially people could request a ballot 
And um, because they got information from the Secretary of State, you can request the ballot. Um, and then they can indicate, yes, please send me a ballot. And then they can complete everything and either mail it back in, just have a postmark and send it back in, or uh, drop it off at some secured boxes. So you can slip it in and, and these are boxes that are heavily fortified and secured um, and just vote that way. And that way it's, it's handless, paperless, or not paperless, but it's you know, touch-free. Right. Um, now, obviously, this is something that <laughs> has gotten a lot of national attention, um, and the current administration had been going crazy about it, suggesting that there was going to be fraud, right. and right. this is not the way to do this. And, and keep in mind, mail-in voting is not new. Right. Um, but the concern, though, was that making it much easier to vote would be disadvantageous to the the party in office right now. So that's right. where you're hearing a lot of that that controversy. Um, and then, of course, it, it's compounded by just fears that people have about tampering with ballots. This is a very right. toxic voting election season. Um, as if we're not already worried about Russian and other foreign interference in our elections. Um, there's been a lot of concern about voter intimidation, and there's been some anecdotes about uh, people possibly tampering with boxes or things like that, and just interfering with people who are choosing this as an option. But, you know, it, I would just say to people, just not be deterred by that. You know, there are a lot of safeguards that have been put in place to ensure the safety of your ballot. Um, and that if this is an option that you choose, which is, it is completely viable and it is, it's perfectly acceptable and, and in many instances encouraged. Um, the other option for people is to vote in person. And, Before oh, I'm sorry. you go on, I want to say, um, just to tell folks, so you cannot say that you were afraid of dropping something in the mail that it won't be counted. Please don't use that excuse. Don't type that on my page. Don't tell me that when you see me. That's just an excuse, and there's so much fear going on that we don't need to buy into it at all. Now, the question no. is, at this point in time, if people have thrown away um, the mail that said you can send off for your mail-in ballot, because there are people who have thrown all 100 pieces of mail <laughs> that have come that told you you could do this. And yes. so if that's the case, um, is it too late to request a mail-in ballot? So the deadline to, to register by mail and to, for a mail-in ballot has passed simply because we are, you know, a week out. Um, because by the time you get the ballot and, you know, it may be past the election. But again, as I said from the beginning, there are still options um, to vote. Well, that's for registration, assuming you haven't registered. But assuming these are registered voters, right. then, then they will have to um, resort to the in-person options uh, to okay. vote. Okay, so in-person... Well, I'm sorry, for those who do have a ballot um, and they're concerned about uh, the postmark, it, okay. so if you haven't sent it in as yet, you haven't dropped it off as yet, it is also not too late for that. Um, what we're looking for is the postmark date and making sure that it's postmarked by election day. So um, let's say on Saturday, you say, ah, <laughs> I haven't completed this. It's, it's still not too late. So fill that out, make sure that it's postmarked, or alternatively, you drop it into those secure boxes right. and on site, um, and um, you'll be okay. And we have been watching the news, seeing people stand in line for hours, yes. upon hours, upon hours, 
to vote. And so I know there are a lot of people who are trying to figure out the best time of day. We're in our minds saying, okay, well, maybe if I go on a Wednesday at 2 p.m. and then they drive by a polling place and they're just like, oh my gosh, the line is too long. And then they go to another one the next week and then, oh my gosh, the line is too long. Um, and some people do get discouraged by that. Um, and well, there's a couple things here. Number one, we have so many things, so many reasons to vote. The standing in line for a few hours, when you certainly stood in line for hours to get that new Apple phone, to me, it is not an excuse. Everybody I know has an Apple phone and will stand in line for the brand new whatever product. So hours of the morning, waiting for the store to open. <laughs> exactly. Rain, sleet, hail, put on extra layers so people remember that you do that, that type of behavior. You stand in line for a football game, for on what, whatever day that is, Black Friday and everything else. So I'm just trying to put things yeah. in perspective for people because we often have so many excuses and if nobody checks us, they just figure it's no big deal, but it's a big deal. <laughs> I don't want to keep hearing this from people. <laughs> but you, those lines, you have to understand. Um, yes, the lines are long, but I think there are a couple reasons why. Number one, the lines are especially long because of social distancing. So part of what you're seeing are ex extra long lines because people are standing farther and farther apart. They're limiting the number of people that can actually be inside of a, a polling precinct uh, for safety concerns. So, so do understand that that's part of the reason why you see those long lines. The other reason why you see the long lines is because there is a lot at stake. And um, by all reports, early voting um, has been up um, exponentially um, in this election. A lot of folks are coming out in droves. Um, and they are braving the cold and they're braving COVID and they feel like, you know, it is imperative that I be out here and, and that I, I cast my vote. And some people actually, quite frankly, feel more secure casting it in person than um, by mail. And so that's the reason why you're seeing so many people online, but don't be deterred. Um, as far as the best time of day to go, see, this is the problem because we're in COVID and people are working from home. So, you know, it's hard to say what are the on hours and off hours. I will say that I, I live um, in the city of Chicago. Um, I go into the office three days a week and I'm finding actually, oddly enough at the super sites downtown, probably because there's not a whole lot of people in the loop. I've found that uh, there's been luck, people have luck um, going into the super sites early in the morning, like right when it opens before the lines hit and not going around lunchtime. But when you're going more closer to your neighborhoods and that's when you tend to see the longer lines, but still, Bundle up, you know, grab a book, you know, exactly. read off the phone and just do what you need to do. It's only a few minutes, like you said, to right. just get out there and vote. Today I went and I was surprised. I thought the line would be shorter. Um, and then I said, well, it, it doesn't matter to me however long it is. But I just, I was like, oh, I thought this time of day it would be shorter. And then I said, well, what can I get done in this time? And so I just went through all these emails that I needed to go through. And by the time I got up there, it had only been about 35 minutes and I got a lot done. So, yes. I mean, it was great. It was really Definitely. simple. And if you do your research, you know what you're voting for and who you're voting for, then you don't have to stand there and wonder all day. Um, some <laughs> people do a straight ticket, but you know, I mean, the fair tax is on there. Um, yeah. There's so much on there. So I would encourage people to take your time. Don't feel rushed and read through everything um, so that you don't check no when you need to say yes and so on. Yes. 
But um, but if people have done their research, they know what they're voting on and who they're voting for. It really does not take long, and it moves swiftly. So um, I think for me, it's a pride thing. I love going to vote. And one of the things that this is a good segue I wanted to talk Mm -hmm. about is the history of voting in Black and brown communities in America. Um, Because... I'm not a history buff. My dad was a history professor in um, City Colleges of Chicago. But um, I just feel this immense sense of pride when I go vote, when I know that there are people who were beaten, lied to, pulled out of lines, imprisoned because they were trying to cast their ballot. So let's talk a little bit about the history of, especially Black people in America attempting to vote. So, you know, it is, it is quite a, <laughs> it's quite a history. Um, I think what's really important, and, and I'll just kind of keep it simple for folks to understand, is that um, particularly for, for Black people in this country, there is absolutely no excuse for you not to be voting right now because there are people who have literally fought and died for this right. Um, we, this year, have celebrated the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment, which mm-hmm. gave the right to vote to women. Mm-hmm. Um, although, really, it gave the right to vote to white women. Because the fact of the matter is, it took another 45 years before passage of the Voting Rights Act to bestow that same right to Black people. So, Black males, freed slaves, had granted the right to vote prior to women. Mm-hmm. Um, But constructively, Black men and Black women, even after passage of the 19th Amendment, and that was the 15th Amendment that gave it to men, the the 19th Amendment still constructively, it was not possible to cast that right because you had de jure or legalized discrimination. You had poll taxes, literacy tests, all sorts of obstacles to keep people from being able to access the polls. So though you had the legal rights to vote, constructively, it was very difficult to do so. Now, can you break down some of the things that you say? Because you're going to say a lot. So I want to make sure everybody um, understands. So can you give us an example of poll taxes? Can you give us an example? So a poll tax is literally what it sounds like, a a tax that people, money basically had to pay to be able to cast their ballot. And as everyone knows, casting a ballot is free. Right. You walk in, you register, you, no, you're already registered to cast your ballot. But a poll tax is a tax that needed to be paid, and usually it's an amount that would be just well, too much for someone to be able to afford to, to be able to cast a ballot for every person who was casting the, a, a vote. Um, literacy tests were things that were also required before voting um, to show that you had the ability to, to read and to comprehend what was on the ballot. But if you ever go online and just look up, like Google a, a literacy test, you have a whole slew of questions, nonsensical questions, mm-hmm. you know, asking how many letters are in between this and three before that. I mean, just things that had absolutely nothing to do with the determining literacy. Um, and, and again, that is not, uh, shouldn't ever be an obstacle to voting. But these were, again, things that were subjected, that we were subjected to, to keep us from being able to vote. So it was a passage of, in 1965 of the Voting Rights Act that, um, not only uh, remove those sorts of barriers or impediments, it also put in a uh, mandate that monitored very carefully any sort of scheme that a state would put 
to impede that right to vote among people of color and particularly black people. Mm -hmm. And so for the next 40 years, that's what was happening, um, monitoring very carefully. So states that had put certain, and they would try to make it seem very simple. Oh, we just want to put um, uh, additional ID requirements or certain extra requirements just to make sure that everything is, 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 is safe, you know, and everything is on point. But really we knew that it would disproportionately impact communities of color. So basically states were on notice that anything that you do that could potentially impact, um, especially disenfranchised people's right to vote, it's probably gonna be struck down. Unfortunately, just a few years ago, the Supreme Court had basically watered down those restrictions from the Voting Rights Act because as people may have heard, had, these provisions had to be renewed. So right. sometimes in our community, you'd hear things like, um, you're right, you, you're gonna lose your right to vote because what they were really talking about was renewal of certain provisions of the Voting Rights Act. So while no, you wouldn't technically lose your right to vote, you would be concerned because some of those provisions that have been placed to protect any of these schemes were being watered down and completely loosened. So states, especially the biggest offenders, a lot of Southern states, uh, now were like, hey, these restrictions have been lifted. And sure enough, you think Georgia, you know, Stacey Abrams, you know, think states like that were the first ones to be ready to start putting things up in the book. We have to be concerned about rampant voter fraud. We have to be concerned about this. Um, we need to close, close polling precinct places because we're, all, we're not doing it in black and brown communities on purpose. We're just trying to consolidate. But of course, you're consolidating in the places where the most people are right. voting mm -hmm. that look like us. So that's what I mean when I say a lot of the schemes that couldn't be done after the passage of the Voting Rights Act, now as these restrictions have been lifted, you know, they're the first states, quite frankly, that are trying to put these impediments and barriers in place under the guise of just being trying to prevent against fraud, even though four consecutive administrations, including Republican administrations, have done um, study after study and have not shown conclusively, not at all, anything about rampant voter fraud. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty insidious, folks. It, it is. And I think that sometimes um, the general population who don't vote regularly, they hear these terms or, or, um, about voter fraud and so between their fear and ignorance, it causes them to feel like they have a legitimate reason not to vote, which is why I wanted you to give very clear examples of voter suppression um, and, and kind of throughout history, because we sometimes think that we live in an age where those things don't happen anymore. Um, mm -hmm. And a few years back with the whole needing to have an idea, well, you explained that the... Um, kind of they revisited um, some of those restrictions and things. Well, then there's people who may have been incarcerated for a period of time and maybe they didn't have updated IDs. And I'm just, I'm going through this a little bit more because there are some people who might not think about it in such detail. So I wanna make sure that I'm being clear as to what the issues are. And so let's say if somebody was incarcerated for a number of years and their last known address may be okay, but maybe the ID itself was expired. That could be used as a means to say, well, you can't vote. Um, and I don't know all the rules about if somebody's incarcerated, if they can or can't vote, um, or how much time after they um, like are released from prison. I don't, I don't know those details, yeah. but though, that's just another way to keep a population from having their voice heard 
Because if you ask me, if you're in prison, you want to vote for the person who's going to make sure that there's prison reform and that mm -hmm. while people are incarcerated, there are certain things in place, health care um, and things of that nature. So to me, I, I don't get why you should not have the right to speak up on how things that will affect you should happen and who's going to be put in office to make those things happen. Um, yeah, the, prisoner, the, the, the jail prisoner, that is, you know, uh, very important because, you know, there are a lot of people who unfortunately have been disenfranchised in that sense. Um, but people will be really surprised to know that, especially upon release, that the vast majority of individuals have, have had their rights restored. They may not know that and they have the ability to vote. Even people who are in pre-trial detention who have not yet been sentenced okay. still have that right to vote. And I know organizations like the League of Women Voters of Illinois, and, and other voting rights organizations have been putting out extensive material to talk specifically to those populations to talk about who is or is not eligible to vote because there are more people than they would actually realize like, oh, wow, I still can vote because they're given a lot of misinformation. Exactly. They are discouraged from, from voting. Exactly. When they ask about voting, they're given misinformation. Or sometimes people just don't even know the correct information. Right. So that's what I mean when I talk about these different modes of, of disenfranch disenfranchising people mm -hmm. and, and discouraging them from voting. Um, the other thing too, like you, you had asked about, can we do same day registration? You know, um, how do if I haven't registered by now, is it too late for me to be able to 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 register? Sorry, Zoom, and you can hear the sirens. But um, you know, this information is so so important to be able to get out to our communities because the last thing you want are a kind of insidious forces, I keep using that word, trying to discourage you saying, oh, you're not going to be eligible because of this. Mm -hmm. People don't realize I can register when I'm 17 years old if I am 18 years old by election day. So registering even more younger people to vote who might say, well, I'm not of voting ages yet, right. but not realizing that if you are 18 by the time uh, election day comes, you can actually register at age 17. Oh, wow. So there's yeah, so, the, so going to the your Board of Elections, um, whether whatever county you live in or the Illinois Board of Elections, um, or Chicago, if you live in Chicago, in the Chicago Board of Elections, go to the site. They have lots of FAQs, lots of information. You will be one-pagers, fact sheets, and they encourage you to share them with as many people as possible. They're easy to download. The information's easy to share please read on those and, and make sure that you're sharing the information with your friends and family so that they know what is true and what is not true about right. who can and can't vote and when you can and when you can't. Right. So I also wanted to dig into um, some kind of um, subgroups within our communities. So there are people that I speak to that say voting um, doesn't affect me. Right. So regardless of, right. And, and let's say we're talking about someone between the ages of um, 35 to 45, right? Um, can you speak to how important <laughs> voting is and kind of on a, in terms of things that somebody can, that are tangible for the average person? Yeah. Absolutely. So those are old millennials and, and younger Gen Xers in, in mm -hmm. that, in that, Right. Um, group. So look, I'm trying not to be <laughs> that person, but I well, I'm that person, so I'm okay. 
<laughs> well, no, but the, that person who says, well, what's the point of voting? Um, oh. Listen. So, so here's the bottom line. When we talk about voting, especially when we're talking, here we're in a presidential election cycle, or you'll hear a lot about midterm elections. Oftentimes we're hearing about the, the votes or voting for um, kind of the higher profile offices, the, vote, the, the, the offices that are high on the ticket, federal offices, the president. Um, but the reason why voting is so important is that the vast majority of people for whom you're casting a ballot are people who are at a much more local level. And these individuals are making decisions that have a very direct bearing or impact on your life. In some ways, more so than some of the state or federal offices. Um, so when it's your library board, your school board, trustees in your village, in your, in your municipality, those are individuals who are making decisions about just everyday things in your town and your community. And so that's why I tell people, don't just think about the really high profile races. And I can understand why they feel sort of attenuated from everything. It's like, well, you know, how directly are they impacting my life? Right. Those individuals are too, make no mistake. But you're also looking at who is lower down on the ticket that has with whom, like your, your alderman, your, your state senator, your state representative. These are individuals who are more directly impacting um, your life and they are making decisions on your behalf. So you need to be invested because you can't be that person who starts to complain about stuff. And yet you say, well, no, I didn't vote for them. You know, I, I, I just can't be bothered or my vote doesn't count, especially lower down on the tickets. There are so many elections that have been won or lost on literally just a handful of votes. Mm -hmm. So just a singular number of votes where people can say, my gosh, if 10 or 20 or 50 additional people had come out, this election would have been different. And you're already talking about situations where the number of people casting ballots already, especially depending upon the age demographic, is less than 50%, way less than 50%. Mm -hmm. Mayor Lightfoot, who, who, when she won and it was, you know, Tony versus Lori. And some people were like, oh, well, it's two black women, you know, we're just, we're excited. And so it doesn't matter who wins. And you know, some people felt like, no, it matters. Others didn't. But, you know, Lori won in the landslide and that was great. She's a dynamic candidate. Um, but when you look at the number of ballots that were cast, then the percentage of people that came out, you're talking about about 25, 27%. So imagine 27% of a, of a community or a population making a decision for 100% of the people right. who live there. Right. So if you think of it that way, saying, well, hold on a second, <laughs> you know, who are you to make a decision on my behalf? You know, let me at least be able to chime in and, and, and decide who should be representing me. But that happens a lot. A very small percentage of people come out to vote for people who are representing an entire population. And then they wonder, you know, what about this person? And how come they haven't done X, Y, and Z? Well, because you chose not to come out and cast your ballot and make your voice heard. Exactly. So and that's what I say to people. Okay. <laughs> well, let me just yeah. um, add to that, that, for example, let's say there are 100 people at my place of employment, and there are 25 people who decide to vote for um, whether or not there's going to be extra benefits, um, like extra days off throughout the year, um, more floating holidays, um, days that were, um, you know, for childcare or extra expenses or um, that they give, you know, at the end of the year, they typically give you um, some money back for staying healthy. 
um, things like that. In my job, they'll do that. They'll give you like a discount or they'll give you $300 if you walk so many steps throughout the year or do so many healthy things throughout the year. So let's say there's yeah. 25 people who make the decision to these 25 people don't have children. These 25 people are in tip top health. So they say, no, we don't need any extra health benefits. We don't need childcare. And we want to come to work every day. We don't need extra floating holidays. And then the other 75, let's say those 75, because you gave us this 25% that came out the vote, say after election, after voting is over, wait a second, I need, you know, some child care over here, free child care. You guys talked about that and said we would do that. What happened? Or you're in the 75 that didn't vote and you're saying, you know what, I need like 10 more floating holidays because, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. is not a holiday that our job, you know, um, you know, uh, um, yeah. words like my mind just went, but um, <laughs> yes, acknowledges. And so it, it's that type of situation where if you're in that number, that 75 who don't vote, you are still impacted by the 25 that did, and you're impacted by the mere fact that you did not vote. And that's what I want people to see, that if 25 people vote, and you say this has nothing to do with me, I don't care if they're voting on this, I'll take off when I want to, what's going to happen is you're gonna be in a situation where you see that you did need those benefits, but those things were important to you, you may not have thought of it at the time, and then now you're SOL. So I want you to think of it like that. The things that happen, you can say voting doesn't matter. My vote won't count. Well, if you don't cast your vote, well, it actually does count. Because if you're not casting your vote, then somebody else is casting that vote and it is counting. So to me, the absence of that vote, it still counts. It still counts. And that's a good way to think. that Your absence of voting does still count. Right. But it's going to count in a negative way. And I think looking at what's at stake right now, obviously, there's a lot of tension um, just across the country about this particular election. Um, there is a lot at stake. The, you hear this term a lot, these are unprecedented times. Sometimes we, it tends to be cliche, except this time I really don't think it's a cliche. I think these times have been unprecedented as it pertains to um, what's been happening at the federal level, um, the climate in our country, the fact that we are in the midst and the grips of this pandemic, a global pandemic that will not go away. Um, the fact that in our country we are dealing with with this racial unrest, but not just racial unrest, but you have unfortunately factions out there who are feeling empowered and emboldened to right. say and to do whatever and to perpetuate violence. So there is so much more at stake in this very moment than has been in, in recent years. And we've been dealing with administration that has just been not only brazen, but just extraordinarily callous and indifferent towards the needs of the communities that it ostensibly serves. Because here's the other thing, it doesn't matter who voted for you or didn't vote for you, you know, the administration is supposed to represent everybody Everyone. and we know for that, that it doesn't. Right. So that's all the more reason why it is so important for people to be engaged. And if you're not typically one to go out, you have to really think that this is my civic duty. It's my duty to my country. It's my duty to my community. It's, you know, it's my duty to, to my children. You know, we're, we're both mothers and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's our duty. 
So that's what I, I really want um, viewers to, to take away from this, to, to really think about what is at stake, because this time there's a whole heap at stake, not just right. locally, but nationally. Exactly. And I know people feel like, well, um, we don't have the best choices. A lot of people who don't want to vote for Trump also don't want to vote, vote for Biden, quite yes. honestly. And so they're putting their hands up because they don't want to vote for either one. But you have to make a choice. That's, you have to make a choice. My mom used to say growing up that you always have a choice. Even if somebody holds a gun to your head, she would say, you have a choice to scream and holler, to move around and try to get away, even if you know that regardless of the choice that you may end up dead, you still have a choice yep. to do something. And that was her point. It may not be great, the best choices, but you have a choice right. to do something, whatever that something is. I think it's an empowering, empowering feeling to be able to exercise that choice to do something, even if you think, well, my one little vote won't, won't change the world. Just do something. If you, you need to do something, and here's the thing, I do recognize, I mean, uh, look, we're in this election cycle and it's pretty like people are really looking at those candidates and thinking, mm. Mm -hmm. um, and I do know that there are situations in which we're looking at candidates that may not be our ideal candidates. I mean, mm -hmm. that speaks a little bit to what we need to do as educated and empowered citizens and voters to be um, finding people to run for office, right. supporting, you know, pr prospective right. candidates. I mean, so that you do have the kinds of choices that you think are really worthy. But in this situation, though, um, and I, I don't usually give the whole referendum speech, like you're not just voting for the individual, but I would say in the presidential election right now, this vote is more than just the individual. Um, what you're voting for is a lot about our, our way of life. These have been times that we haven't seen most of us in our lifetime mm -hmm. and our standing in the world the situation that i just described with the pandemic our racial unrest our economy that has been in shambles because of covid there is so much at stake that this is a situation which people need to weigh and think yes i may not be satisfied with with the choices but what else is at stake and is it just about that individual or the likelihood that at least if I'm casting my ballot one way or the other, it'll be easier to be able to influence and move our country into the direction that I feel we should be moving into. So don't get hung up on, well, you know, she didn't do this and he didn't do that. You have to think sort of in the aggregate and you have to think, you know, what really is at stake here? And even at local levels, I think people do that a lot too. They might want to disqualify a candidate because they're not in lockstep with every single value of theirs. Right. And I told right. them, I said, well, hold on a second. And I'll give you an example. I worked for, for, for President Obama when he ran for U.S. Senate. I was a senior staffer on his U.S. Senate race. And I went into communities of color, particularly black communities, which we know black and brown communities are, are conservative in terms of their religion, you know, right. um, and religious beliefs. This is before marriage equality. So was the law of the land. And so there were people within our community that said, if he, you know, believes in marriage equality, and they would tell their congregants, you know, you know the right. clergy would tell their congregants, you can't support this candidate because he believes in gay marriage. So notwithstanding the whole, the prejudice and, and all that, all that aside, I thought to myself, and forgive me for being flippant, folks. But I was like, let me tell you something. The same summer that you're talking about, this was a summer in Chicago that was you know, particularly violent. I remember there was a grandmother 
and a granddaughter sitting in their living room, and the grandmother was shot through the window right, in the summertime. Right. In that particular summer, it was around 2004. And I know we've had subsequently violent summers, but at that time, it was one of the most violent summers. And you had neighborhoods that were struggling and, and right. schools that were crumbling. And all these things were happening. About, right. I was like, you worried about Bob and Steve? Like, right. really? Right. Bob and Steve are not negatively impacting you whatsoever. Right. You, I mean, I'm, and I'm not trying to, you know, I love my gay brothers and sisters, but right. I'm like, in the grand scheme of things, Right. When people are getting shot up sitting in their house, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're going to dis discourage someone from voting from a, a, a candidate who has a platform and every other issue that is most immediately pressing to you because you diverge or you disagree in this one. Right. And that is extraordinarily short-sighted. But we see that a lot with single-issue voters. People who pick an issue that they think resonates with them, the whole world could be crumbling apart. Right. And they pick an issue. And usually it's an issue that's not even really that Exactly. Essentially, lives. Exactly. But it, it's like, I'm going to, because he's, you know, this person is pro life. I said, this person is not really pro life because they don't care about the lives of people around them. You know, they're, they may believe in, they may not believe in abortion, but they're certainly not pro life. Right. <laughs> so let's let, keep it real. But yet, you're going to put everything out on this candidate, even though in every other category, you, you don't share values. And that's the problem when we think singularly. We think about single issues and issues that really are not the number one priority, have the number one impact in my life. So for anyone listening out there, think about that. You know, what are those issues that are most important to me, my family, and my community? That's how you need to be casting your ballot. Not about one particular issue that, you, that means a lot to you, but really doesn't have the biggest impact on your life. Right. All right. Thank yeah. you for that. Thank you. This yeah. has been a wonderful discussion. This has been great. Um, I'm glad that you had the time to do this. Um, of course. And I'm hoping that some people, uh, people had comments. I think we touched on a lot of the comments that they did have Good. on Facebook in our conversation. Um, but I don't want to keep people too long because then it's just like, okay, we know, we know we need to vote. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I will say that I think that um, people, especially my age and younger, you can make it fun. You can get your family members or close friends and all go together, stand six feet apart. You can wear t-shirts in solidarity, wear cute masks, text each other through the whole process. You can make it fun. It doesn't have to be something that's dreary because you don't like any of the choices. You can actually be excited about exercising your right to vote. So I'm looking forward to people writing in the comments whether or not they have voted and mm -hmm. um, if they have not, when they are going to vote. And yeah. let me know. If you're out somewhere voting, I might just pop up and say hey to you. So <laughs> thank you again, Audra, for joining me today. Thank you for everyone watching. I'll see if I can do another one of these next week. Well, next week will be Election Day, but maybe on Monday. Yeah. So, until next time, everybody, thank you so much for stopping and tuning in on this special voting edition. Have a good evening. Thanks again for listening. This episode has been brought to you by Fit Life Give, a Black-owned, queer, and trans-friendly luxury mobile spa. Fit Life Give specializes in couples and individual massage, from corporate events to spa and pamper parties all across the Chicagoland area. Massage is a form of fitness, and you need to have a fit-filled life in order to give to others. So book Fit Life Give for your next event or personal service.
That's fitlifegive.biz.